0: The Gospel reading for the morning is a portion of John's account of the raising of Lazarus. Listen for God's Word. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there's a stench. Because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The word of the Lord. There's a website, futureme.org, where you can email yourself a message up to 30 years into the future. Uh, These future emails run the gamut between fear and anticipation. One sent in 2006 for delivery this year simply says, is the future any better? A a 2019 delivery asks future him, well, how'd you do? Are you on your fourth marriage or not? Other questions fill the screen on this site. Did you even remember what it was like to be me? Did you ever lose weight? Did you finally leave her? Do you still hold such regret? Some have a lapsed urgency like the one from 2005. Is Madonna still alive? And is Paula Abdul still an American idol? (laughs) Then there are just statements to life in the future. I'm probably dead or homeless. Get over her. This too shall pass. These future me emails are notable in how they bleakly lack a dream of a better tomorrow. In stark contrast, All Saints Day offers us a potent message. The saints of our lives charge us to wake up every morning, this morning, trusting that in God's hands the world can be better. I wonder what Jesus woke up thinking on the day he discovered that his friend Lazarus was dead. In the middle of this long passage after Jesus has finally arrived on the scene, only to be rebuked by the sisters for his tardiness, Jesus begins to weep. There are so many reasons throughout history for Jesus to weep. Jesus can weep over the raging injustice we all know all too well over drug dealers corrupting another young life, over a frantic family choosing today between food or medicine. Jesus can weep over the epidemic of sex trafficking or the crush of consumerism that's suffocating our souls. Jesus weeps over those trapped in anorexia or those who are cutting themselves. Jesus weeps over the failure to dignify every human life. Jesus weeps over the continued abuse of those who are weaker by those who are stronger. But this indicates that Jesus was late to get to Lazarus on purpose. So if he's weeping over Lazarus' death, that seems a bit disingenuous. John's gospel wants us to know what is really going on here is not only a family crisis in Bethany, but the crisis of the world, not only the raising of a dead man, but the giving of life to the world. Jesus is experiencing here something like he experienced in Gethsemane. He knows that calling Lazarus out of the tomb means he must go into the tomb. Notice this text in its structure. Jesus is troubled and weeping. The tomb is not far from Jerusalem. The tomb is a cave covered by a large stone. The stone is rolled away. Jesus cries with a loud voice. The grave clothes are left at the grave. Does any of this sound familiar? This may be about Lazarus, but this is also about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is counting the cost of giving his life. The cost of living for others is not something that comes naturally to us. In Robert Bella's book, Habits of the Heart, the sociological study of Americans in the 1980s, there's a long interview with a young woman named Sheila. When asked about her religion, Sheila says, I consider myself religious, but I I can't remember the last time I was in church. My religion is just my own little voice. I guess you would call my religion Sheilaism. I, it's just try to love yourself and be gentle with yourself. Another congregation I know just last month sent out a survey to ask their, their congregation priorities of ministry and mission. The answer displayed some imagination and faithfulness, but what caught my eye in the summary was the construction of the sentences in answer to the questions. Almost everyone began, I want. I want worship to be this way. I want music to be that way. I want classes that focus on this. I want youth group. I want. So what happens you, or to me, or to Sheila, when we are called to act beyond ourselves, and to do so at great cost. What then? It's what the saints of all kinds and in all places know, that life and love require us to give ourselves away. When Jesus is beckoned to come and see where they laid Lazarus, that's really an invitation to all of us. Saints are those who answer the summons to come and see what God is doing, and then change their lives because of what they see, disregarding self-interest, enduring the cost for the love of God and the love of others. And wow, is this easier said than done. The late Harvard preacher Peter Gomes was once asked to give a commencement address to a posh Manhattan Upper East Side high school for girls. The students were, for the most part, heading off to Ivy League colleges. Gomes preached what he thought was a lyrical sermon on Jesus' invitation to consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, but they neither toil nor spin, but God provides for them. Gomes emphasized what he considered Jesus' comforting words, therefore, do not be anxious about your life afterwards, the father of one of the girls came up to Gomes with fire in his eyes and ice in his voice. He told Gomes that his sermon on anxiety was complete nonsense. Gomes tried to tell him those were Jesus' words and not his own words, but the, the, the man was not dissuaded. It's still nonsense, the man said forcefully. It was anxiety that got my daughter into this school It was anxiety that kept her here. It was anxiety that got her into Yale. It was anxiety that's going to keep her there. It is anxiety that will get her a good job. You are selling nonsense. On the basis of that advice, Jesus never goes to Bethany. Jesus never stands in front of Lazarus' tomb calling him out. Using this as a guide, Jesus never goes to Gethsemane, let alone Golgotha. On the basis of that self-absorbed way of living, no one ever stands in front of a tank in Tiananmen Square. No one ever walks across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma. No one ever spends two years right out of college with Teach for America. Never turns their life from I want to we need never seeks to do all those costly acts, large or small, of heroism and kindness that make the world better following Jesus. On the basis of that kind of worldview, none of us would ever become saints. Thank God. God for those who've shown us a different way to live. Thank God for Jesus' appearance in Bethany, hard as it was for him, so close to his own destiny. He can't simply show up, do his thing, and move on without feeling the cost of loving without limit. Thank God for those in your life and my life who tell us, who show us how to live faith, how to live hope, how to give ourselves away for the life of the world because they've learned it from Jesus. I mention Greg Boyle a lot in sermons. You're just going to have to get used to that. Father Boyle runs Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles, helping gang members out of that life. The motto there is nothing stops a bullet like a job. During the Great Recession a few years ago, Homeboy's donations completely dried up and they had to appeal to the LA City Council for $300,000 just to keep open and keep doing their good work. Why an extraordinary appropriation for such uh, one place to just keep it up and running? Homeboy is really a consequential place seemed to be the consensus. There's a lot of hope here, Father Boyle recounted. We always say hope has an address. It's 130 West Bruno Street. Father Boyle, has celebrated 167 masses of Christian burial of former gang members in his time there. And it says it's hard for people to hold two refusals together. First, you must refuse to demonize any single gang member. Second, you must never romanticize gang life. The day before Father Boyle went to the city council for this large request to avoid becoming another casualty of the recession, he was in his office with two city council members when a young Latino man stood sheepishly at his doorway. So I need to talk to you someday today, uh, the young man said. Father Boyle looked at him, Are you going to disappear on me? No, I'm just going through a lot of stuff right now. I know you are, son. Without making eye contact, the young man nodded, I'll be there, but I really didn't want to ask for help. You know, you've given me a lot of help already. At that, the priest's face wrinkled into a puzzle. Where does it say you can't ask for more help? Where are the rules that says there's a quota for asking for help? After pausing, he added in a more upbeat voice. We will get through this. The two council members referred to that conversation the next day when they voted the funds. You know, I would love for Father Boyle at some point to track down Sheila and have a conversation with her about Sheilaism. Mary and Martha and Lazarus are not simply props in a spiritual story. They're real people trapped in death and grief and Jesus brings comfort and Jesus brings life. Jesus was a real human being ministering among the suffering. But John wants us to know that God's blessing does not come solely to certain people who happen to be in that time and that place. There's not simply one special place called Camelot where the lame are healed and the blind see and the dead are raised. Bethany is the same as south-central L.A. as far as God is concerned. The Sea of Galilee is the same as Austin as far as God is concerned. Faith is always first generation. Please remember that on this All Saints Day. Faith is always first generation generation. It's always in the now, both in what it promises, hope and health and healing, but also what it costs to follow. The message of saints to future you and future me is live without anxiety. Live in trust. Live in hope. Live with a costly generosity. Give your life away. It's a shift from I want to we need to trusting that God provides. There was once a church where the folks were sharing about times in their lives where they felt especially close to God. In the group was a dancer, a part of a professional ballet company. She spoke haltingly. She reminded the group she'd grown up in that church. She knew every nook and cranny of the sanctuary. She said, I was baptized in that font right there. Her father would describe the day of her baptism to her, what her gown looked like, and who was there, and the hymns that were sung, and the sermon that was preached. And he would always end by clapping his hands and saying, oh, oh, the Holy Spirit was in that place that day. That got her thinking as a young person, where exactly is the Holy Spirit in church? Is it in the organ pipes? Uh, Is it in the rafters or the balcony? Maybe it's in the state. Where is the Holy Spirit? She paused and then said, as many of you know, I lost both of my parents to cancer in the same week last winter. It was a terrible week, and one day during that awful week, I was driving home from the hospital and I passed the church and pulled in and went into the back of the sanctuary, sat on the back pew and just sat down and wept. I wept and I prayed and I just poured out my grief to God. Well, she said, a member of the church, and she gave the person's name, was in the kitchen preparing a meal for a church meeting and she saw me praying and she knew what I was living through. So she took off her apron and came and sat behind me in silence for the longest time. And then she took my hand and then we prayed together. And it was then this young woman said, I knew where the Holy Spirit was in this church. Saints know that it's only by the Holy Spirit that we are moved from I want to we need to trusting that God provides. Saints know that only by the Holy Spirit are we made into a community together to do bold and beautiful things in the name of God. Do you know where to find the Holy Spirit in this church? let me invite you to hold the hand of a person sitting next to you i know you don't all know each other and you know it's not flu season yet and all that but (laughs) it's a little intrusive whose hand are you holding spouse parent child friend stranger sister or brother in christ Yes, but it's not just a brother or a sister in Christ. That bond, that connection, that is the Holy Spirit. Okay, you can let go. <laughs> but remember, the hand you were holding is the Holy Spirit holding on to you. It's what saints know, that we can do nothing as a church in terms of love, joy, peace, hope, without the Spirit of God binding us into community. We need each other to move us from I want to we need, to trusting that God provides. We need this community to carry us when we are brought low, to believe for us in seasons of our life where we cannot believe on our own, to show us today what love, hope, peace, joy look like when they're lived out in real time, in a real place, among people like us.